Welcome to the Up Full Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. And this is episode 13. Coming at you live and direct from Oakland, California. Hard to believe 13 episodes, y'all. Doing the damn thing. And it is an honor and a privilege to speak to you. I'm going to put the focus on uh, a couple people. But one, uh, not so much related to the podcast, but every week I like to thank folks or organizations uh, that are essential to my professional life or the scene in general or a variety of scenes or just people doing the damn thing and making a difference out there and this week, I really want to put the spotlight on Funk It, uh, the Funk It blog, and the man behind Funk It, uh, Randy Bears, Esquire, the erstwhile attorney. Uh, Randy is probably the foremost uh, taper and and collector and curator, and he just hosts and trades uh, more live music uh, across so many boundaries and genres he's just a wealth of knowledge and perspective and um, collector uh, like none other that I've ever encountered and um, sort of the meticulous nature of the uh, typical deadhead collector of yesteryear but uh, spread across funk and soul and some jam lots of jazz tons of hip-hop and uh, I was fortunate enough, I knew of R.L. Bears uh, from Funk It blog and, of course, his YouTube channel long before he and I encountered one another at Bear Creek 2011, I believe it was. And since then, we've uh, come together in a variety of capacities in the media thing. Uh, he gets incredible footage, not just audio, but tons of video, multicam mixes, and he's a dedicated, you know, to all things Deitch and uh, all things New Orleans. He's somebody that I have a lot of admiration and respect for, and he's provided me with content for my various feature articles through the years, from Swanee and Bear Creek to Jazz Fest to Jam Cruise. I uh, was lucky enough to be his uh, cabin mate on Jam Cruise uh, one year, shortly after I was released from custody. And it was an amazing experience in itself, but to share it with a guy like Randy was truly special uh, in its own way, uh, personally, professionally, and in some ways spiritually. Um, and I'm always grateful to him for all he's done for me uh, in my media work and as a friend. And I wanted to take the opportunity while people are listening in to shine a light on Randy Bears and his work at funk it or the funk it blog um you should just go to their youtube go to the funk it blog url and just feast on the gluttonous slabs of history uh, that will really speak to anybody who's 
got their thumb on the pulse of uh, what's been funky and fresh in uh, the worlds of hip-hop, jazz, funk, soul, you name it. So shout out Randy Bears, shout out Funk It Blog, and uh, if you're into the kind of stuff that I'm putting out, the content, then you will love uh, and adore what Randy is doing, like so many of us do. So large up, Funk It. If you are inclined to leave a review, be much obliged. Um, Also, any feedback, constructive criticism, any kind of messages you would like to get to me or the podcast or ideas you might have or anything at all, please email b.gets at upfullife.com. That's the letter B as in boy or Brian, period, G-E-T-Z, at upfullife, U-P-F-U-L-L-I-F-E dot com. And I will be sure to uh, read any and all emails uh, relative to the podcast because I'm trying to foster some communication and uh, connection with folks out there. So a few of you that have written, I appreciate and uh, hope to hear from more listeners because the numbers are doing good and we had a great response uh, and to episode 12 with the amazing Jasmine Fraser. Naughty Princess, good feedback, good shares, and some new folks tuning in. So, shout out to Jasmine. She's out there crushing it. And, uh, you know, people are taking notice. I'm really honored that she chose to come on the pod. Remember to check out the Naughty Princess when she comes to a city near you. Um, We're going to go back to back with uh, badass babes in the music scene. And uh, this week, for episode 13, we're going to have Shira Elias from the incredible Turquoise. first uh, episode of the Up for Life podcast, we were lucky enough to have the amazing Michelangelo Caruba, drummer of Turquoise, give a poignant and informative interview, my very first episode. And, uh, now at episode 13, we are stoked to have Shira for a little under an hour. <clears throat> Caught up with her... Um, when Turquoise came through San Francisco uh, in February. It was like back-to-back with uh, the Naughty Princess interview, one right after the next, uh, one one day and then the next day. So that was pretty cool, and uh, I figured I'd release the podcast back-to-back in the same fashion. Um, Shira was an open book, and we covered a lot of ground, including her beginnings in Vancouver and the theater world and the transition to becoming a performing musician and singer and uh, some of her earliest experiences, uh, you know, auditioning for Turquoise, gigging with them early on. Uh, it's a 
incredible story she tells about taking in an early nth power show uh, at a crucial time in her life and just some awesome stuff uh, from Shira with regard to her path to the canary yellow uh, slot in the kaleidoscopic show that is turquoise and um, we were talking just before they were going to sound check so you start to hear a little bit of tuning up and stuff in the background but it's a pretty good sounding interview and uh, yeah she really uh, opens the door and and speaks her mind and her thoughts and her experiences I ask her some pointed questions about you know being a female in the industry and also the nature of uh, their performances and people see them a certain way or does she think twice about this or that and if it's a really potent conversation in that regard and I was kind of nervous at times and I was a little bit stammering and uh, sometimes even interrupted a little bit or talked a little too long myself but um, we were having a conversation and listening back obviously I wish I kind of just let her you know run wild if you will and I did but I also did a fair amount of talking uh, trying to convey some ideas and yeah it was a fruitful and enjoyable and thought-provoking conversation she also wraps up at the end with some of her uh, outside sort of side project uh, endeavors like the funk sessions with live for life music that took place uh, a couple weeks ago wildly successful event that Kunj and them are throwing on a monthly basis in Denver so she talks a little bit about that uh, shortly before it actually had happened. And, uh, well, I'll leave the rest for the listeners. But you, know, you basically have the basic bullet points there um, from the lovely and talented Shira Elias from Turquoise. But uh, I've been talking over Turquoise, uh, uh, Digitonium, uh, second song from their set at the Fillmore on February 2nd, 2019, which we were stoked. Uh, I made a request through the band uh, if I could have a recording or if I could record it, and they provided a sweet recording. Um, so you can find that on the archive.org turquoise page from February 2nd, 2019 at the Fillmore in San Francisco. And I mentioned I would make a request to the band, so any kind of request or any kind of anything that happens with turquoise has got to go through there creative director and manager and, uh, named uh, Danny Brandywine. Brandywine. Uh, so she's a force of nature herself. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Shira and I talk about Danny for a good little while in there. And, uh, if you're listening out there, I meant what I said. Danny, I want to have you on the Up for Life podcast because I can only imagine uh, what you have to share and I think that you would have a really inspiring and interesting and type of story we like to tell here on the Up for Life podcast. So uh, let's get you on uh, when our stars align. But in the meantime, another listener who I was lucky enough to hang with at this Turquoise show, a fellow named Jeff from out there in Charlotte area, um, he suggested that for uh, the intro music, uh, I should play The Question is the name of the song from Turquoise, which Shira really sh- and Sammy both really shine on. So uh, 
I'm going to play that direct in full, four minutes and change, and then you'll hear from Shira Elias. And then we'll have another short interview to end the episode, but I'm going to keep that under my hat until we get to that part of episode 13 of the Up For Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is The Question from Turquoise, live in San Francisco, February 2nd, 2019. We'll be back after this.
we are live here backstage at the Fillmore. You might hear a little bit of sound checking in the background. That's Turquoise getting ready to uh, tune up and uh, take the stage tonight here at the Fillmore in San Francisco. And we are lucky here on the Up for Life podcast to have the lovely and talented Miss Shira Elias. Hello. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're just going to call me. you Shira now because everybody. I knows. guess that's what it is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. People, you're Shira, uh, the one word name status. When I was in high school, I did a song on the radio for Battle of the Beats, and I just went by Shira. I tried to make that happen, but it didn't happen. Well, it's a good idea. Maybe you can bring it back maybe, now. When maybe. Maybe. And some off time when when you're not touring. So speaking of the tour, you came in. Uh, hot off a show in LA last mm-hmm. night. It was awesome. Yeah, so I saw a picture that you posted. Uh, it looked like there was a reunion of sorts. What, what happened? Um, well, a lot of old Turquoise homies and former Turquoise members happen to live in LA now. So Shane Allen and Nikki Egan, who were both... Uh, I th- Shane was an original Turquoise member. And uh, yeah, the singers and I sing so many parts that they made and all that kind of stuff so it was the four of us getting to hang out together that's awesome that is awesome yeah for the for the annals of turquoise history mm-hmm. it is yeah and know. they're like still great friends and they're doing their own music and just it's it's nice to have the the lineage all together yeah so um how many people have in essence had your role in the band I don't want to say the wrong number but several. Um, it's not yes, just one it's or two. it's definitely the most, the role that's had the most okay. turnover. Um, I want to say in the ballpark of like, I don't know, like eight ish wow. maybe over the years. But you have the most staying power, I take it. Um, I mean, that's tenure. to be determined. I hope so. That's the longest tenure. <laughs> Thus far, well, Shane was around for a long time, and she okay. also has come back and forth a little bit, filling in and stuff. So. I'm not sure if, like, altogether, who's got the most. I mean, I guess Sammy at this point. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, that's awesome, and yeah. uh, warmed my heart to see that photo. Me too. So this is uh, the end, in essence, of, of a lengthy tour. That is you've it? Been on for you guys? I mean, it yeah. just feels like perpetual tour to me. Okay. <laughs> I remember when the, the dates came out for the, the whole shebang uh, after the album release, you know, and... I, this date seemed forever away, and it was Fillmore? like, yeah. Well, we still have the whole Northwest next week, and then we do Missoula and <laughs> Bozeman and Denver. So we got at least two weeks left on this leg. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I just, you know, the dates. This date seems so far away when the right. dates dropped. Right. So it feels like you're coming towards and the end, but I don't want to sell you short. You got a whole two weeks. We do, of and it's your town, so obviously you're. <laughs> well, it's the important one. Fair enough. Well, we're happy to have you back, and uh, you have a big fan base in this region. I think a lot of it because you had some real show-stopping performances at High Sierra through mm-hmm. the years, yeah, including the time that really won my heart, you know, all the way over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you like about performing in California or the West Coast in general? Well, I don't know if everybody knows, I'm from Vancouver, the Pacific Northwest, okay. and so coming to the West Coast every time is like I'm coming back home. Um, and I think early on in Turquoise's tenure, they made the amazing strategic move to make sure to tackle the West Coast early on as a young band. So now we see the fruits of that, which is that like we're a Northeast based band, but we can come to the Fillmore, come to San Francisco and have like 
you know, a sold out show, which is what a blessing, right? Um, and, you know, West Coast vibes, baby. It's the best. I love it. Yeah. It's just, it feels so good. It's easy. I love New York. I'm in almost 10 years now, but there's, you know, something so soothing to me, whether it's, you know, nostalgia or just the vibes. It's probably a little bit of both, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. Um, just trying to get the, the mic angle correct here and make sure we, get, we can hear you good. Should I get close? No. Okay. It, it, we're good. You're good. I was just uh, making sure we can. Sometimes I sound a little far away. Right. So sometimes I get a little like I'm a chill girl yeah. voice. We like that. That's, there's a reason why I, the, it's terrible the for mic. my singing. I, I bet. I bet. They're like, you should talk like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we want your natural speaking I know, voice. I know. I know. Um, I was gonna say, you know, I'm an East Coaster originally. I'm mm-hmm. from the Philly area. Grew up in South Jersey. Spent most of my 20s in Vermont and Philadelphia. A short time in Florida, about five years, and then I moved out here. Um, so I understand the whole idea of like the vibes people say that you know it's overrated or whatever and I I couldn't disagree more but I understand the allure of living in New York or Philly or really anywhere that has a vibrant scene does Vancouver British Columbia have a vibrant uh, music and art scene well to be honest I left Vancouver almost a decade ago when I was heavy into the theater world so I never really spent time in Vancouver in the music world So I can't fully answer that from experience, from what I know, because Vancouver is such a, like, nature, yoga, beautiful outdoor city. There isn't a super thriving late night scene, and... There's some great DJs that I know of from, like, the Burning Man world that come out of that. Right. Yeah, I mean... a couple huge festivals up there, too. I think there's definitely pockets, and I think a little bit of the jazz world, actually, has has a a nice space there. Um, Vibrant theater? uh, Not so much. I mean, I think it's... It's uh, it's a little sleepier, but it's, you know, it's beautiful, and it's chill, and everything closes early. Gotcha. (laughs) But Vancouver is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, from the little I know about, but the people that I know that hail from there, now I know another one. Right. Well, like, and to be fair, I haven't lived there in almost a decade, right. so I don't, I don't really know. So let's talk about that. You uh, came of age in Vancouver, but uh, ten years ago ish, you mm-hmm. moved to New York. Yeah. Did you move to Manhattan? Uh, I moved to Brooklyn first. Yes. And are you still in Brooklyn? I'm still in Brooklyn. I spent one year in Queens out of the whole time, but okay. the rest in Brooklyn. Okay. So yeah. when you hit uh, New York back then, it was. Uh, you were in search of the theater world. A Broadway baby. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. The dream. The dream. Right yeah, on. So, uh, to be a Broadway just, star. I know we're here to talk music, but I just want to hear a little bit about what that was like. Like, totally. It's a small town or small city, Vancouver mm-hmm. girl, Broadway, New York, yeah, the big well, time. Yeah, well, my dad is from New York, so okay. I spent my life growing up there sometimes, and, you know, like, it was literally my whole plan in life from a little girl, like, as soon as I could... I was like waiting always just to move to New York. That was always my plan. Um, and I have dual citizenship, so yay. Yeah. Um, so I was like ready for it. Uh, obviously, you're never really ready for that craziness, which is the auditioning life, which sucks. It's, you know, waking up at the crack of dawn to stand in line with like a million girls to maybe sing 16 bars to possibly get a chance to be in a show that will inevitably close at some point and then you're back to where you started from. So it's, you know, it was my dream and it was a hustle and it was crazy and I had, you know, some victories but not a ton and the constant 
feedback I would always get in these like classes and all auditions was like, oh, your voice is great, the singing, like awesome. Like, so, but now if you want to do like the, because it was musical theater. So there's like all this other stuff you, you gotta, you gotta work on, you gotta do. And like the business of being in musical theater, it's, it's a crazy life, man. It's crazy. So, uh, the final thing that sort of like, Straw, straw. Like I did this workshop where like you paid with a casting director, you do a class, and then you get like a one-on-one, like half an hour. And he was like talking to me about all these things I was doing. And at that point, I had started already doing a lot of gigging and doing a lot of music stuff. I was kind of like doing both. And he was like, "Do you just want to do music? Like, do you just want to be a singer? Because like that's okay. You can do that." Because that's what it feels like you're you're heading towards, and not that like he decided my career for me, but it just kind of like gave me the the permission to be like, because my whole life my identity was this musical theater thing right. that I wanted to do, and I was like, if I don't if I don't get on Broadway, then I've failed, and that was my identity. So to let myself be like, maybe I can change, maybe I've evolved, maybe I actually will be happier in this world. Not to say that I can't ever go back to the theater world. It'll always have like such a huge place yeah. in my heart, and and I think I also somewhat bring some of that theatricality to turquoise in not a sense. Somewhat, somewhat. <laughs> not, not somewhat. And the and the Absolutely. choreography and the yeah. whole thing, and also like you know work ethic in the theater world is like fucking crazy. Like yeah. it's grind. It's grind. Not yeah. the music isn't, but there's there's a little it's more different. fun and laid back, yeah. and the, the hours of like Discipline. late night versus morning. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't like politics in that world too. Like, you know, people talking about each other, undermining each other. Well, like auditioning, you know, I I guess it exists in every in every field. But like the same small, you know, people, which I guess in a way in our scene, too. But like, you know, getting the agent and then getting in the door to the auditions, being part of the union, which is a huge thing, the actors union. Um, So it's hard. It was hard for me. And I think that it's funny that when I at the end of my auditioning days, when I was already like having more success in music world, my best auditions, the ones I got the most callbacks, were during that time because I was like, I'm just gonna be me, fuck right. it. Like I'm not as like trying to fit into this box of what I thought these casting directors wanted. So which, more like caution to the wind. Yeah, and that's fly. what they the whole time. If I had, I feel like I would have had more success the whole time if I had tried to be more of me instead of fitting into this like Broadway girl box that I was trying to fit. But they, they kind of, that world dictated that you must fit into that box or that, yes that's and no. what they communicated Th- Yeah, and especially in a lot of theater schools at right. the time, I think they were very like, this is what you need to be, this is what you need to do. I think it has evolved. Like you, you see some, some theater stuff like being a lot more open and inclusive and having a lot more um, different kinds of people featured. But I guess at the time or from... Who knows? I, I put in my mind that I needed to be a certain thing, right. and had I been more authentically me, I probably would have had more success in that world. But it, that's how you learned that. You know? I mean, that's the only way. Right. Yeah. Also, like, being in my early, mid-20s in New York, just, like, figuring my shit out, you know? Like, right. I was figuring it all out. And I still am. Ironically enough, well, yeah, you're figuring it out, but you're doing it well. I mean, you're here, you've been playing packed rooms, you've got a career, you've got, we'll talk about later, a bunch of side projects mm-hmm. and opportunities coming your way. Yeah. All kind of spiraling out of your right. role, I role mean, in this band. I, I feel like I've figured more things out now, yeah. you know. Yeah. We're always yeah, it's <laughs> getting an, there. Work in progress. Yeah, Life but, you know, coming from, progress. like, 
Vancouver out of college and then moving to New York City to right. pursue this dream. You know, it's awesome and crazy and yeah, some storybook shit. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, in a way, for yeah, sure. Yeah. And you know, I was in this relationship too that was also really fucking crazy. So there was that going on and a lot of variables. I understand. Yeah, you know. So, um, then you decided to make the changeover to be, make singing and performing music. Uh, you know, your vocation. Yeah, it wasn't like a conscious day of like, okay, I'm changing this. It just slowly kind of did it for me because I started just being too busy to do, to audition. Right. And like that story about the casting director was that when it, I felt like I was going to be okay to okay. do that. It, like I could let that other dream not die, but it, it's okay. Right. Or just like it's okay that that didn't happen. Like right. you don't always have to, you can change and evolve. Of course. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah. I think I wanted to be a fireman first. Right. And like <laughs> you didn't fail because you're not a fireman. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Well, well, well put. Uh, I wanted to ask how many uh, like projects or how much did you uh, perform in this regard before the Turquoise or audition? Did you have some time in the clubs, gigging here and there? For sure, how I long did. Would you uh, say? A couple years. Okay. But like you know, I was doing a lot of weddings. I was right. doing a lot of backgrounds for, and mostly this is all like in New York. I did a couple regional like weekend tours but nothing of like this magnitude um so learning the ropes if you will of of that world yeah i actually i hosted this weekly thing called soul night every week in new york which was the thing that really got my chops of leading a band repertoire in the soul genre um just like doing that being in that world and i was like it was like a curated open mic that i was like the host of so i would do like a bunch of songs and Play with the band so that because it was a weekly thing where I was always like learning new stuff and getting it all and running the show that was definitely like the thing that gave me my my legs on that because like it's funny because theater singers with a live band because everything in the theater is like planned out it's like it starts here it ends here this is where you go the orchestra is hidden in a pit right. so it's like they don't <laughs> even exist right? right so when you're on stage with a band in somewhat sometimes improvisational settings you need to just figure it out right. on the spot together you're making the music together and that was one of the things that like I just love so much about this world that I felt like we're doing this yeah. on stage in the moment so it's together. like a thrill because, because you're so used to regimented mm-hmm. ways to approach that this is such at least initially was such a at left begin- field concept and for scary you. at the beginning but and it's part like, of the fun right it's but, fun and like the creativity and the creation part of it that you're all doing this in real time together yeah. you know it, we wouldn't have any rehearsals or anything it was like we're just gonna and figure it out yeah yeah I and mean, that's that is honestly what you just described the core like crystallized element of our quote scene right whether it's jam bands funk bands the turquoise the lettuce whoever it's that essence of we're going to figure it out in the now Mm -hmm. together and i mean you can trace that back to the dead and fish or you can go back to miles and coltrane or whatever but it's for sure it is the the unifying theory yeah you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. for you and i was going to get to that is when you showed up at turquoise uh, audition not only were you not familiar that much really with the band other than what you probably looked into when you got the audition but this world was not even on your radar no right. well i went to jew camp uh in <laughs> olympia washington Me too. 
Yeah. Not there, but I went to Juke. Yeah, yeah, and honestly, that was probably my only exposure to, you know, the somewhat, like, you know, the fish, Grateful Dead. Dave Matthews was a huge thing, obviously. Right. Um, and so and so in my mind, it was like the stereotype of the... Right. Birkenstocks and tie-dyes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. I actually the, found the dead at, at Jew Camp. So, there you go. You know, there and you then go. I went home and went to a show in 92, and that's why I'm me today is because of that. Wow. Yeah, I was, too, I was too busy in, like, pop land at, right. at that age and, like, Christina Aguilera and... I was into Slayer. Just a slight offshoot. <laughs> I, mean, I was into, like, heavy heavy metal. Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer in, uh, in seventh grade. And my half-sister, who I, you know, don't really have a relationship with, and at oh. the time, um, not important, she told my parents she wanted to bond with me. She was in college. Oh. I was in 12, so she was going to take me to a concert. Yeah. Um, she went to Cornell. She's like, I'm going to take you to the Grateful Dead. And she used the uh, Steal Your Face skull to kind of lure my heavy metal self <sighs> to the show. Sneaky. Right? She's like, this is their emblem. This is their logo. You're going to love it. False and pretenses. Was, right. So. But you so loved it. I absolutely you loved it. it. Yeah. And then like really got deep in it at summer camp. Well, that's cool. But anyway, that's how that happened. Yeah. This is your interview. We'll go back to No, no I'd yeah. love to hear it all. <laughs> anyway, we have, we have plenty of time for that. But we don't have plenty of time for this. Sure. So I'm going to kind of turn the page right into Dirt right. Boss. If got that's it. cool. I'd love to. All right. You show up at the audition. How did the audition? How, well, did, how did you find out? Little fun story. Uh, for whatever reason, I didn't want to come to the audition. I, w- I guess I had a lot going on. I didn't really, like, know what it was all about. I don't know where my head was at. I called Dave. It was it the day of? I think it was the day of the audition. And I, like, said I was, like, sick. And I did have a little whatever. And I was just like, I can't make it. And Dave pulled his awesome Dave guilt on me and was like, you know, this is a real red flag. We all <laughs> we all got like this day to book off for auditions. Like I'm really disappointed. And then I was like, the the overachiever in me was like, no, no, I'm not a red flag. Fine, yeah, I'll come, I'll come. So I came. Um, it was in, at the sweatshop in Bushwick. I don't know if you know that place. Um, no, of it. Of it, yeah. And the whole band was there. I didn't know anyone. And they were all set up to play. I had to learn. Uh, Future 86 and Bubba Slide, I think it was. And then one song of, like, my choosing, like a, like, you know, a Aretha song. I think I did Chain of Fools or something. Um, Great cut. Yeah. And then we did it. Sammy, she was, like, wearing this, like, suit. And I thought, and she had a bun, like, a high bun, a black suit. And she looked very not what, like, I know her as now. She was, like, so serious and, like, conservative. And so I was like, oh, this girl's serious. <laughs> and then uh, we did the tunes. They went great. I did my tune. They went great. Mikey was hidden behind this big pillar. And the only thing I remember that he said, he said, he like stopped the thing. He was like, excuse me, excuse me. Can you move a little to the left? I can't see you. Um, so that was, that stands out. And then they were like, cool, great. And then I left. I think they were seeing a few more girls. Um, I ran into Taylor and Craig that night at Rockwood Music Hall, and we raged. <laughs> they were like, oh my God, you just auditioned for us. So I think that was a little serendipitous. Absolutely, sure. I got to see Craig in all his rage glory. And uh, then I did a couple like trial weekends just to like kind of see how it was going. And I was still very like, I don't even know what this is. But I knew there was like just something compelling like when we would do the shows... The people were like, 
I don't know. There was something pulling, you know. And the whole beginning part when I was just not sure is because I didn't know if this world was going to be for me. Right. So I don't know if you want to if you want me to continue on with that. If you're interested in talking about, because as I told you off the air, like the besides just going through music nerd stuff, yeah, um, the concept of the show is like overcoming adversity mm-hmm. and sort of triumphing, or if life knocks you down. Mm-hmm. You've kind of already covered that with the whole like theater mm-hmm. situation. But if you'd like to enlighten folks or share folks with what your uh, apprehensions were, I mean, sure, we'd sure. love to hear it. Yeah. Um... Well, like I said before, I obviously was like in a different world musically and I just didn't know if I was going to be happy and fulfilled kind of like musically being in this, uh, yeah, in this world. And honestly, the, this is kind of a cheesy story, but it was Gathering of the Vibes my first year, I guess, and the last year of Gathering of the Vibes, Nth Power played uh, super late, late, like sunrise set. And I had never seen them before. I had never heard of them before. And this was maybe... Nigel uh, era? Nigel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know them. And I... It was kind of a defining moment where I was like, wait, they're in this scene? That music is in this scene? (laughs) Oh my God. I think I could be... I could find a place for myself here if this exists as well and you know I've told them this story many times and I love them now and like now you know I've played with them and stuff and that was kind of the like okay I think I think I can do this that's a quite a tribute to them yeah um they they were a big uh nth power house and a big Nikki Glassby house and of course Nikki Cake and and yeah and when Turquoise got to do a tour with them it was like my heaven I, I I have a lot of wonderful things to say about them um, but it's your interview, but no, I'll just, I'll I mean, share, I'll share, uh, and concur with, um, I mean, they're still a special band, but that configuration at that time, mm-hmm. um, was like a spiritual experience I know. On, of another level. So I mean, I'm not surprised to hear that that's what sold you on this world. Cause I mean, how couldn't it? I live literally can like attribute the, me being here to them. That's a beautiful thing. I'm so glad you chose to. to I know, me tell too. Can you imagine if I had it? Yeah. Or just to tell the story on the air. Oh, of yeah. Of course, I'm, we're all very lucky. I'm actually going to thank them the next time. I, I think you them. should. I, I, I thank them, yeah. I'm starting to hear a little bit of, of that. Does mm-hmm. that mean uh, you've got you, to you you, do your thing? No, not at all. They have, they've got a long ways to go, but if does that mean this needs to stop? It's It's. You can hardly hear it. Okay. I'm hearing it more outside the phones and in the phones, and it's almost kind of like a cool real-world part of it. Great. Really, but, yeah, well, I mean, this is a Zach Victor, our front-of-house guy's song, Every Day, that he starts with. <laughs> oh, right on. Yeah. Right, shout-out Zach, then. Yeah. He's got you guys sounding great. Yeah, always. he's awesome. Yeah, right on. So, uh, audition goes well, see some more girls, you see some band members at the Rockwood, you have some drinks. Uh, we do some trial weekends. Right. I, you know, I, uh, we, I did my first, like, tour tour. Okay. Yeah, do like a long one. you remember what year that was? Yeah, it, so it would have, it started on January 1st, 2015. Okay. We had the bandwagon. We played Oakland, um, 
what's that place? Par- Parish? New Parish. New Parish. Yeah. That's great, great room. We yeah. saw pimps there the other night. Yeah. Yeah, great pimps. So, great room. that was my first, like, real long tour. I think it was, like, seven weeks. Right on. And I just got thrown in, and I still, at that point, was like, okay, I'm going to see, see how this goes. I hadn't, like, you know... I didn't know if this was like gonna end up being my life, but I right. wanted to, to like explore, and then that summer was the gathering of the vibes story that okay. that I told. That's awesome. Yeah, and then I was like, then I'm in. Just, you're in. I'm in. Yeah. So, um, a lot of our listeners know uh, Turquoise, of mm-hmm. course. Um, I mean, I don't have a ton of listeners, but the people that do listen, I would say, uh, you know, not a dec- yet. A decent portion of them know Turquoise, but. A lot of them, whether it came through the Burning Man world or mm-hmm. just not connected to the funk scene. Right. Um, Turquoise is very much a theatrical band, even though there's no, like, you know, you're not performing any kind of, like... A narrative. Narrative or play or, like, music uh, opera or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But um, for those who aren't familiar... Um, Maybe describe like what goes into the production of, of you know a turquoise show with regards to you know the showmanship and the you know the mm-hmm. the look with all your colors. Right. I mean, they're, they're, you guys like really stand out, not just visually, but what you present on stage is is really unlike anything else. Not only in our scene, but that I can really think of ever. Well, thank you. you. Thank you. And I I just want to hear it from the creative side. Well, let me start out by saying that I came into Turquoise when it was already like this machine that had its ethos and, and, you know, the the songs and, and the ethic of this group of people just like literally working as hard as possible to just make this shit happen. So I think who that are the OGs? Like, well, who are Taylor they? and Dave are the founders, okay. and then uh, Chris and Greg um, here were okay. original. Um, Mikey came shortly after, right. and Josh, okay. and then Craig, and then Sammy, and then me. Cool. Um, I knew it was Dave's thing, but I didn't really understand that. Dave and Taylor, like, were, are the founders? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So with that said, this like. I think at the core of Turquoise is these nine people at all costs banding together to put on a show. And like, it heart, you know, a little bit reminiscent of, you know, the days of James Brown and the Supremes that like they're putting on a show from start to finish, right. visually, sonically, aesthetic, like it is put together. Like it's, it's a show. Right. So, and that's like part of what I love and try to hone is the whole, the entire package and the experience of when you come to a turquoise show you're getting a a full show yeah so as far as what goes into that like as i said when i came into it it was you know already years of basically on stage rehearsal of making this as tight as possible and of course we try to just get tighter and tighter while still i think especially now in the current i don't know era of turquoise that we're in we're also trying to somewhat incorporate more spontaneity in our live shows because I think people have come to depend on the, uh, what's the word, consistency, but sometimes we need to throw in a little more spontaneity to it. So yeah. I think that's like something that we're, we're trying to 
embrace. cultivate and embrace that because it has been so tight and that's part of I think why we thrive but it's you know also it's good for us all to be able to be on our toes like that and it's like that magical thing you talked about earlier with uh, you know living in the moment and the group kind of figuring it out for and, sure you know for sure. live yeah and that's a big core tenet of like the jam scene is not only improvisation but like if you're playing the same town two nights in a row, not the same show. Right. I think Which we a, never do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you still embrace the Of that course. I mean every set list from night to night right. is, is different. Um but what was I gonna say? I don't know. Well, Go you on. can tell that uh, and that's why I asked what goes into it, because it's like nary a wasted movement. Right. Every space, and there's a lot of it's, and you guys are this huge group with all these colors oh, and I th- all these sounds, um, but nobody's stepping on each other. There's no. Well, I think so. Inevitably, because of our size, because of like you know the just sheer resources available and everything like that, like the spontaneity and the getting through everything together and working everything out happens 24 hours a day with us of us figuring stuff out together. Right. Um, so that when we get on stage. It's like, this is what we do all that for. This is what we like, this is what they slept on floors for years. I didn't have to do that, I'm very lucky. <laughs> but this is what they did for years so that we could put on this tight ass show for everyone. Yeah. Do you get hazed because you're the newbie? Well, hey, hey, it's almost five years now. No, but I'm not really the newbie. The, but, you, but is there anyone that's coming well, behind Well, in you? the band, I'm the newest, but right. in our crew, like our, our uh, front of house, was newer than me, tour manager, production manager. Okay. Right on. So, yeah, I'm the newest in the band. Hazing, uh, no, no, that one was actually pretty nice to me. And I don't know if that was because I am a girl and they were like, oh, we gotta be careful or something. Or I don't know. I mean, I got, I think I I came in, I dove in real quick to the culture of the band and I threw my jabs too so you know and they realize you could hang yeah okay well since you brought it up i was going to wait a little later in the interview but you uh, mentioned a quote uh, because i'm a girl and i wanted to ask uh something of a lot of my female guests uh, about you know being a a woman in a man's world not just literally but the performing arts and and, and bands and like the arts, world the world but specifically our world got too. it got it um we can talk about what it's like in the world period if, sure. if you care to also. But I want to talk about it in the context of our thing. Because I'd, I'd like to think that this community is quote-unquote conscious. Um, willing to, uh, you know, make whatever changes to behaviors that so that women don't feel some kind of way about being like second class or lesser than or... And it's so ingrained in everything, in like everything, that even a flippant remark like you make, like, treat me like a girl, like that's so deep-rooted because that's happened to you your whole life. So I want to talk a little bit about um, how, how that is for you. Um, yeah. Whatever you care to share, positive, negative. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I feel like I'm a little bit of a broken record when I do, when I talk about this on interviews but I I just have to be like honest with my experience that's what I want yeah no I know and I want to be representative to all women but I don't think I can because 
I personally feel like me being a female in this music world like is an advantage for me. And that's been my experience because A, just the sheer numbers. There are so many dudes that compete with each other. Like how many, you know, and there's just not that many of us. So if you are good at what you do and you have confidence and you know how to navigate and use your wiles, so to speak, to get what you need, then like I feel like it's, I'm lucky. Like I can, like I, and I don't know if that has to do with, I'm lucky that I was raised in a way that like I have, I do have a lot of confidence and I kind of, I don't know, people don't usually treat me like a second class citizen. Um, So I'm very lucky and I know that I'm kind of privileged in that way. And I don't know, I think it's a combination of the way, what I put out and also maybe just how people see me. But, and who you roll with. I mean, you surround yourself with people sure. like your bandmates who are programmed the right way yeah. and they treat you right, then you may not know any different because sure. that's what you deal with on a day-to-day. Sure, yeah. It doesn't always have to be negative experiences when I ask this question. Right, right. I just want to know what your experiences are. Okay. I yeah, ask, well, sometimes I feel bad because like, I know that not all females right. have that experience. And I, sure, I've had the odd, uh, like... With a with an asshole who like thinks he can like talk down to me and like he's a dick, you know, yeah. and like I think it will soon become evident that I I know what I'm doing and I can like I can stand for myself. So and then also you know I'm sure there's I've also been very lucky with like the people that have lifted me up and stood behind me like in the band. You know I remember at the beginning hearing like you know you have like seven brothers now that like are gonna right. Defend you, I, I, you know, back. and I, but I also feel that way about Sammy and Danny yeah. that like they're they would fucking fight yeah. someone off for me too. So, um, well, that comes back to the whole equality thing like, just if the dudes are going to beat ass for you, then the girls are going to beat ass absolutely. for you too. Absolutely, like, we're a family, we're a family, and I think that it's like for the for the I would like to put out for any women listening, like, the market wants more women. And yeah. the market needs more women. So, like, if you're badass, you're you can probably do well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many awesome women in this little tiny music scene. Right, but not alone. comparatively speaking. Not compared. I'm just saying the women that are out there that are doing it. You know, like you and Sammy and Jen, and Natalie, and Nikki, and Holly Bowling. I mean, you could go on and on. There's sure. a lot of women. It's still like probably a 25 to one ratio. Like, if you're adding up all the you right. know, musicians, if you will, but. You know, it it should be encouraging for women who are talented or want to get involved. Yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like the field is, like, open for and the taking. And not just on the stage, too, because, you know, you're, you got Danny, who's, like, does a bunch of shit oh behind my God, the scenes like, for you guys. Sh- we're right. so lucky that, like, all of what you're talking about, the aesthetic, the colors and everything, like, that's all her, that she just, like, takes takes it and, like, makes it happen, which we're, you know, not, not a lot of bands in our scene have a Danny. No. No, you're lucky to have one. Definitely. And, and she definitely, you know, that idea and that, that aesthetic and the ethos and all all that is turquoise. Yeah. Um, also, I don't know if the listeners don't yeah. know who Danny is. Right. She is our, I guess, creative director right. that she runs. Uh, basically, anything you see aesthetically is definitely her and a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff and our photos and videos and a lot of that stuff is Danny Brandwine. Yeah, awesome. She's going to come on the show. Yeah, she yeah. should. Yeah. She, she'll have a lot to say. I saw them at like breakfast in New Orleans. I was with Alicia and her parents, and it was like after the royal wedding. Yeah, pre- the royal wedding. Yeah, pre-Halloween. 
And I saw them at breakfast, and I was like, you know, I, yeah. want, I want you to come on the show oh. to, to her. She will. And she was like, well, I'm like, yeah, you know, it would be a really colorful, interesting interview. And again, I want more women represented. That's mm-hmm. why I'm talking to you. Yeah, now. I mean, I'm lucky, too, like, that I have two badass women on the road with me right. to, you know, make it a little less full boy. Right. Sausage. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right Although our boys are so nice and not, not yucky. Good. That's reassuring to hear, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Talk about the, what you about the question about the like sexualization yeah. on stage, how to ride okay. that line. I don't know yeah, if we're like, going to come back to I it. I was, but we can do it. Oh, now. you were. Oh. Yeah, so, well, while we're talking about all that, yeah. that world about you know patriarchy. Yeah. So, um, no, because nobody's ever really asked about that, and I find that so interesting. Well, yeah, I, I just I wanted to ask first in case it wasn't something you didn't want to tackle. No, but I I'm glad that you do. So, um, what you guys do on stage, the way you perform. And uh, the aesthetic of you and Sammy is definitely quote unquote sexy, not lurid, not like anything that would be in poor taste, but it's part of that old school ethos, whether it's like the Supremes and all that, it's just like sexy women moving in unison, uh, presenting that as a part of the quote unquote show versus not selling like sex or sexuality or making it something that would make anyone uncomfortable or that you couldn't do in front of your folks or even your grandparents. Um, I feel like, you know, sometimes people perceive, not just you guys, but in general, that as, you know, kind of other selling their sex appeal, you know, and I, I take umbrage at that. I've actually had this conversation before. Right. Yeah, I do. And it's like, that's not what's going on here. And I think if you just glance at the stage and you see a couple movements and a shimmy and you draw some sort of judgment from that, I think that's unfair. So I wanted to set the record straight. I wanted you to take the opportunity to say, you know, how do you walk that line where you present the sexy vibe as a part of the show, Mm -hmm. but don't cross over into any... Well, I think about it often, which in and of itself, I think is like a little bit fucked up because even the fact that we're having this conversation about like what is why I make decisions about what I do on stage versus you probably never ask a guy anything like that, exactly. you know? And so That's just, a really good point So just to, to think about that, like, the artistic choices that I make in on stage, and I can't, you know, I'm not going to speak for Sammy on this because, like, I can't, is the way that I feel represents the music and the way that the music moves my body and the way that I feel the serves the aesthetic of what we're doing and to me feminine power is obviously super strong ways that like people want that and people are drawn to that and it's a beautiful thing and like the level of you know like even you saying like oh but it's not lurid like what if it was that's okay too you know like i'm just making the point that you guys aren't hypersexualized with your presentation and some people would argue that we are and that's okay too. Maybe like certain, some very certain, conservative folks. certain, you know, photographs on the internet or certain right. whatever you want to call it. And I think at the end of the day, like we should do all that and more if we want to. Sure. Right. I mean, and I think you should be entitled to that. And you know, me personally, I love it when I go to a show, like especially in the DJ culture, and there'll be like women performing, and there'll be. You know, not unlike you might see at a strip club in terms of like whether it's the pole or mm-hmm. combination, you know, routines or whatever. Right. And as long as it's not like 
out of line, you know, in terms Which of like, what is like out pub, of line? Public Nudity? sex acts. Okay, so know? like, great. or even like uh, simulated, you know. That's just what my, sure. that would, that's what I would call hypersexualized. Okay? Right. So that's my line in the sand, Got if it. you will. And I'm saying I don't have a problem with that if it's presented as such. Mm-hmm. But you guys don't present it like that. You right. are much more in that old school rooted of the Supremes and, you know, the Shirelles and all those different like female groups that were side stage in a nice dress and perfect hair, moving in your, that's like the the old school version right. of you guys. Well, and I think but back we- then people thought that was hypersexualized. So I think we've grown enough. And now we're on the other side of the coin where we're like telling people, you know, that that's like you're arguing. It's not out of line to be hypersexualized as long as it's your own power, as long as you're not being marginalized into that role. Yeah, I think that for me, those things, and I've asked myself this question many times, like am I using this as as a... crutch or am I is this like my thing that I'm leaning on when like I hands down always want to be respected and given opportunities because of my abilities and this is like part of who I am and what I can put out that I think enhances the art so you know and I'm not gonna kid myself that like sex sells and people want you know it's it's I guess just the way yeah the way our society is set up that like sex is shameful and bad and all that stuff which is changing a lot right. but it's I think it's great <laughs> yeah I mean, and I feel I, I feel good about uh, kind of just going with what feels right and real and authentic and if I'm feeling a sexy move I want to show some more cleavage one day I think that's great <laughs> so do I yeah, yeah. I, I still think that that's not hypersexualized right you know what I mean? That's just a part of the show. And I guess everybody's line in the sand is going to be different. For sure. And I just don't... I would like for you to be... And Sammy and anyone else for that matter to be recognized for your talents. Of course. And not, you know, yeah. how you look or the vibe they somebody thinks you're putting off. Mm-hmm. You know, that. so I just wanted to give you the opportunity to... Yeah, to no, I'm, I'm grateful for that because we don't talk about that a lot. And we also, you know, I think Turquoise has a demographic of like pretty much all ages we've got kids we've got like oh, yeah. seniors we kind of runs the gamut and so to have like young girls in the audience watching it which i'm always definitely yeah. aware of trying to be a role model in that sense yeah. there's I just, a responsibility that comes exactly that sure. but i want to also put out the empowerment yeah interesting and that's an interesting line in the sand it really is i mean i guess all women like yeah. deal with that for each woman and yeah and in life just the way our culture is set right. up it's like how how do you straddle that thing of being true to yourself, but also, conf- you know, conforming or not conforming to what society expects of you? Right. And then there's also not just you, because you're a part of a collective. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be, you know, putting anything out there that one of your bandmates or the whole band wouldn't like have your back. Be down. On, yeah. You know, and vice versa. You know. What yeah. I mean, you I mean expect it... that from each of them too. And the the difference is like nobody's judging what Taylor's doing on stage. <laughs> But, but like I said, it comes with its perks too, for sure. Yeah. Like of the opportunity of, you know, people wanting to do pictures and do all these yeah. things. I, like, the, do you enjoy that? Like fan fan uh, hangs like that. Of well, course. some artists are like, you know, that's not for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like, yeah. I'm like a, I'm a performer. I, yeah. I love that shit. But what I will say though, what gets frustrating is like, you know. 
you have the freedom to do whatever you want on stage where you have this barrier that removes you from people and then once you get out to the merch table with these people that feel like they have the permission to touch you yeah, or to or to be you. oh yeah Sammy deals with that a lot um, and that that part gets frustrating that's gross but I think that goes along with like the beauty of us you know people feeling like they they know us and they are close to us and that we like are part of their lives so they feel this like closeness to us when it's like all right dude you probably should not touch her there or at all you probably should not touch her agreed yeah well i appreciate you saying that too hopefully some of these folks will you know pick up what you're putting down yeah yeah right on but well the the love is yeah. good. It's appreciated. Well, we can we can show love and not be handsy. Exactly. You know. Yeah. You can have it both ways. Exactly. All right. Well, I know you get a sound check soon, so we're just gonna get into uh, a little bit of your thing because mm-hmm. I've noticed your gigs popping up, whether it be little spinoffs at a festival or something you're doing in New York, uh, something maybe you're doing for Mikey's birthday. You've had a lot of opportunities outside of the turquoise prism. Um, so many that I don't even know where to start. So what what's on the docket in the future for you? Whether you got coming up at Jazz Fest or you got coming up in New York, uh, what's the next like, Shira gig? Uh, project? Well, literally the next one after Turquoise is uh, I'm doing the second installment of Funk Sessions uh, in Denver. In Denver, which the first one was Sold like out. a huge smash hit. Yeah. So hopefully we can do the same. Um, Shout out Live for Live Music. Yeah. Doing big things in Denver. Huge they just things. got there and already. I mean, come on. Yeah. I expect no less. Exactly. Exactly. And Denver, you know, so special in yeah. that way. Oh, Taylor. Um, so that's that. And then I'm doing the Alanis Morissette stuff with Mikey. Yeah. And, which you've done before. Which we've done before. And Jen Hartswick's on that, which is always just my fave. Um, and then... And then turquoise, more turquoise, and then some jazz fest stuff. It's never ending. It's good. It's I'm so lucky. It's it's like part of the New York. Also before music life, it was just like the hustle, hustle, hustle. Trying to do as much. Trying to do work on writing my own stuff and doing that, which is like an ever evolving. Right. And I'm trying to get you know be more disciplined in that thing because I want to. I definitely want to put my own stuff out yeah, there. I think people would love to hear it. Yeah. You know, I love. I did my first solo solo show that the was like under my name. Shira, well okay. no that the you mean the Soul Tracks? Yeah. Well that so that was part of Brooklyn, Brooklyn Comes, Comes Alive. Alive right. But my first like real just solo show under Sheer Elias that's not part of a festival was uh, in December at Rockwood and I did um, a few originals. Yeah, who was um, in that band? Well, it was a lot of New York cats, but Sasha Brown, yeah, who used to play Sasha. with uh, Sister Sparrow, he we actually wrote one of them together. He's a great dude. He's gonna come on the podcast. He's right? my boy. I love him so much and such so talented. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, he's great. Um, Rodney Flood was the drummer. I don't. There's a lot of New York people. Julia Peterson on bass had some of the cool. Turquoise boys do horns. Um, Joel Gonzalez on flugelhorn. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but it was just really. Yeah, we know. I I guess there's part of me just because I'm part of this huge operation that I always have this like backing that to really go out on my own is you know a little scary. Yeah, of course, but you know you have good people behind you, yeah. and you got a lot of support in the community. You know, I'm lucky that like I get to pop into an already yeah. built-in fan base where a lot of solo artists do not. True that. Well, I I uh, am happy to 
bang the drum when the time is right, whenever you have a record or a show Thank you. or whatever. I really appreciate um, that. We'll let the people know and can do another one of these when the time is right. Cool. I do have a few more questions, but it's getting loud. It's getting loud. So All I'm right. So we're going to reel it in uh, let you do your thing. But okay. Thank you for... Uh, we, did, we got enough time where you can have your own feature episode. Sweet, so work yes. Goal, me, 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 me. Yeah. Well, 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 someone else will be tacked on the back. All right, all right, all right. But it will be your feature episode, awesome. and I'm honored that you would you know, take the time. Thank you. To speak to me You're and so personally. Easy to talk to you. Thanks. I appreciate you saying that. You are. Um, and hopefully we'll get some of these other kids. I want to get Craig on. Mikey was my first guest. Yes. We only did 35 minutes. Okay. So I'd like to get him on again, and obviously Danny and even Dave. Mm-hmm. I mean, Josh. I could do we're going to have a lot of turquoise on this podcast good good that's what we like that's right. what we like to be everywhere tonight the Fillmore with Paris Monster who was nice enough to let us use their green room for this interview and so Paris have you seen them just what was posted like Craig the they're other just the baddest one of my homies baddest uh, yeah that's what I'm saying one of my homies is meeting me here from the Lettuce Fan Club is like gung ho wants to be on the rail for Paris Monster anywhere big up Jeff Anywhere you can see Paris Monster, you should. Yeah, well, I'm going to see him here tonight. Well, I was talking to the people. Ah, talking to the people. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Shira. Thanks, Again, Pete. it's been a great uh, powwow. We're honored to have you. So I'm going to sign off. This is the Up Full Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and we will see you next time. lovely and talented Miss Shira Elias of Turquoise. I want to say thank you to Shira for taking the time out before sound check to drop in with the Up for Life podcast. And hope everyone enjoyed uh, her story and uh, some of the nuggets and gems she shared uh, as we spoke. So large up to Shira and one word name, you know, like Cher, Madonna, Gaga, Shira, you know, get used to it. And you're hearing in the background, you're hearing uh, the song Gossip, which is a classic Cyril Neville jam with the meters. But what you're hearing is Carl Denson's Tiny Universe's take on it, which is uh, the second song on their brand new LP, Gnomes and Badgers, uh, the first release on Carl's new imprint, Seven Spheres Records. Um, I was honored to be asked to be among the first to publish a review of the record, which you can find on Live for Life Music. Um, and it's, it's a great record. I'm stoked to hear Carl uh, keeping it funky. Um, he's had a, a big love affair with rock and roll since he joined the Stones, and even a little before that. It still has a rockin' vibe, as you could probably hear in the background a little bit, but it's still heavy on the funk. And it's got a lot of groove, and uh, I wrote a story about Carl a couple months ago, as I tend to do around his birthday shows here in San Fran, and uh, hearing some of these songs just come alive. Um, 
Some of them have been in the set for a while, but some of them, like Millvale, PA, uh, that even still has Alan Evans on drums, who was playing with the Tiny Universe for a few years in between records. But uh, yeah, hopefully we're going to have some guys from Carl Denson's Tiny Universe on the show. And I go way back with Carl, and I have a pretty cool relationship with him. I'm lucky uh, to have established a great rapport with him, and hopefully he'll come on the show when our stars align, because amazing interview that I would conduct with Carl, but we're going to have the uh, also incredible DJ Williams, guitarist of Carl Denson Universe and leader of the band Shots Fired. He's going to be coming on the pod pretty soon. We've been trying to get that set up and uh, aligned, if you will. So you can look forward to that conversation in the hopefully not too distant future. Um, and I would recommend peeps check out uh, gnomes and badgers from Carl Denson's Tiny Universe. Um, now we're going to do something that I've thought about doing for a while and, uh, you know, kind of waiting for the right opportunity so we had a shorter interview than normal with Shira. So I am going to uh, attach on an interview I conducted with my mom, Irma, or Ermzy, as she's affectionately called. And, uh, you know, not everybody out there knows the, the dynamic or, you know, why I would um, put my mom on this podcast, if you will. But my mom uh, is a diehard jazz fester in New Orleans. Uh, every year she travels down from Philadelphia. This will be her 11th year. Uh, she started going after I had been going for several years. And the only year that she's missed since she started going was the year that neither of us went because... I was incarcerated, and uh, we managed to get back to Jazz Fest every year since I was liberated, and it's a very special thing that we share each and every year down there in the beloved Crescent City. Now, <coughs> excuse me, my mom, Ermzy, uh, is responsible for my passion for music and culture, and you know, I won't spoil it, but she talks a little bit about it. Uh, in the interview. The reason I interviewed her, she was out here visiting. We went to a couple shows like Pimps of Joy Time and uh, Robert Walter's 20th Congress while she was out here. And we, um, you know, we're talking and making our plans for Jazz Fest. And uh, the podcast was kind of just starting to get its groove, if you will. And she is not familiar with podcasts and had never been interviewed. And she had been asked have been interviewed in the past she just want to kind of share her own story if you will and um and here we are so we sat down for like 12-ish minutes and you know i had some ideas and maybe some heavier topics to discuss but not for her first interview uh, we kept it strictly music and strictly like the nature of our mother-son relationship through a shared love of music and how she introduced that to me in my youth and how it maintains in my adulthood and um, so Ermsey is going to talk um, to the Up for Life podcast for uh, like I said about 12 minutes and then we will be back uh, with the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week and we're going to go out with a little more Carl D because my mom loves her some Diesel and then you'll hear from Ermsey on the Up for Life podcast I'm your host, B. Getz. Hey, 
And we're live here in uh, just between Oakland and Berkeley, California. Uh, this is the Upful Life podcast. I'm the host, B. Getz, and this is a very special occasion uh, for the first time. Uh, lucky and privileged to have my own mother, Miss Irma Feld Getz, on the podcast for a short chat. Now, why are we doing this? Well, for a variety of reasons. The biggest one is uh, anything that I bring to the podcast in terms of my passion for music and media and you know, just being a people person. I all I get all of that DNA from my mom. Also, uh, my mom is a very passionate fan of music and tr- travels to Jazz Fest in New Orleans every year and has been coming out to see music with us here in the Bay Area. And... Uh, this trip out here to the Bay Area uh, was my mom's first time to really get an extended listen and feel for the Up Full Life podcast. She was not familiar with podcasting, uh, so it was really cool for her to see us hit 1,000 downloads. We hit 1,100 today, by the way, and uh, and just see a couple episodes come out and see how people have responded to them, etc. So before we go out for uh, check out my new employer, the OneDome.Global, I thought I would invite my mom onto the show just to chat with us a little bit about, you know, whatever she feels like sharing. So, Mom, Irma, thank you for coming on the Up For Life podcast. My pleasure to be on the podcast. My pleasure to be in California with you and Alicia. And uh, what would you like to ask me about music, Pumpkin? (laughs) I knew the pumpkin was coming. well, there's lots of stuff I'd like to ask you, but I know a lot of it, but the audience doesn't. So just kind of fill people in about your own path with music and the arts. What are some of your earliest memories as a kid with music and maybe how it made you feel? Okay. Uh, a lot of people probably say that their earliest recollection of music is nursery rhymes or children's songs not me. I was, I don't even remember how young because music was always in my house growing up. And I remember early in the morning, whenever I got up, there would be classical music or opera or Latin music coming out of my parents' bedroom. That's the first thing my mother did was put on music. So that's my beginnings. Right on. And uh, let's talk a little bit about your own mother, because she's sort of the matriarch of everything that we're doing here today, and kind of the DNA that I spoke of regarding you really starts with her. Um, Your mom was really into music and film and art and culture in a time when, uh, for better or for worse, a lot of women, you know, spent the time at home or raising a family or whatever. And your mom did that, but she's also a business owner and a clothier and a big fan of music. So would you say that your first tastes in music were hers because it's what she played? Yes, I agree. My first tastes were those of my mother's and I still enjoy the music I heard, and it has influenced a lot of my music going. Um, The classical music just always, I was enraptured by it. 
Um, I might not have understood it when I was really little, but I did understand the beauty. And as a result, um, I have been a subscriber to the Philadelphia Orchestra for 43 years. And I go and I close my eyes. I started going with your father, Brian. Uh, the very first year we got married, we subscribed to the Philadelphia Orchestra. And for 39 of our 40 years, we enjoyed it together. And then when I lost dad, I said to myself, should I keep going? And I immediately answered yes. Um, and dad would have wanted me to continue going. Of course, of course. I often, he would play classical music more than anything else. I mean, you you have such a wide swath of tastes and stuff. So you mentioned Philadelphia, and obviously you're born at the Jersey Shore and went to college, or born in Philadelphia, grew up at the Jersey Shore, moved back to Philadelphia for college, and a brief sojourn out here to Berkeley in the 60s for a semester. And then, uh, you know, you're a Philly gal. I mean, you got the shirt. When you think of Philadelphia music, uh, beyond your experiences with the orchestra, which is awesome from where we where, wherever we used to go see them when I was a kid, you would you would take me one Saturday a month. That was pre Kimmel Center. What where was that? That was at the Academy, Academy of, music of Music, right? For the children's concerts, which were so hard to come by, um, we were on a waiting list, and somebody we knew, uh, their children were then teenagers, and they were giving up their two seats, which I grabbed in a flash. Yeah. And that's when you and I started going to yeah. children's concerts. When I think of my like uh, embryonic memories of what made me me, there really are the going to the orchestra one Saturday a month with you and going to the Eagles games every other Sunday with Dad. That was really my DNA. But I wanted to get back to the whole Philly idea. Yeah. Um, outside of the orchestra, when you think of Philly music, whether we're going back to the 50s and 60s, on up. You've lived in the Philadelphia area for the majority of your life. What are some of your cherished or celebrated or favorite Philadelphia music artists? I mean, I know a couple. I just want to hear the first few that come out of your mouth. Well, mine probably wouldn't be the current. Of course not. Not that I don't. One current. Philadelphia? Yeah. Who's from Philadelphia? Let me think. You go see them almost every summer, sometimes by yourself. Oh, 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 yes. Oh. The Roots. Of course. For the I've... listeners out there, the Roots have a picnic in Philadelphia festival every year, and I went with my mom two or three times when they first started doing it, and unfortunately it conflicts with my living in California, but my mom has attended a couple times on her own, met up with a couple of my friends down there. What do you love about the Roots? Because you're not really a rap person. Roots are Philadelphia. They have the Philadelphia uh, rhythm, the Philadelphia swag, the uh, the Philadelphia heart and soul. Yeah. And when I listen to them, or especially when I go to the Roots family picnic, everybody there is like-minded as I am, that this is the real Philly scene, and we eat it up. Yeah, yeah. And then taking it back a few generations, I know you're a big fan of Frankie Beverly and Mays, another yes. Philly institution. Yes. Right? Uh -huh. How did you first but, get into that stuff? Well, Frankie Beverly, you. I, uh, from I, the, from, from the you, jazz from Jazz Fest. But right. back in the day, um, 
I was listening in Philadelphia or going to hear uh, Chubby Checker. Oh, now we're taking it back. We're taking it back, and this is, you know, Philadelphia. Uh, when I was living in Philadelphia and as a college student, it was the Platters, the Delphonics. Mm. Um, it was little Stevie Wonder. Stevie yeah. Wonder was a tot. <laughs> And he was starting at such an early age, and I followed Actually, Stevie Wonder. I'm actually wearing the Stevie Wonder t-shirt that you got me <laughs> at the Songs oh. of the Key of Life show that you went to. Oh, I got you yes. tickets for your birthday, so, coincidentally. That. But yeah, you always call him Little Stevie Wonder, and people yeah. don't really think of him like that, but he was like a child star, right? He was maybe five years old when he started performing. It was like nothing else, and I have followed... Yeah, he's still, to me, little Stevie Wonder. And um, James Brown, I mean... That's not Philly, but that's no, what No, but you when love, I but, was living right. in Philly and, and, oh, sure. and listening to music, that's the music I was listening to, and I still like it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, something that we both love that we've been talking about a lot lately because the... 50th anniversary lineup was announced for New Orleans Jazz Fest. For those listening at home, a lot of listeners know me as a Jazz Fest guy. I've been going 16 out of the last 19 years. And uh, in 2008, uh, after I had taken a two-year hiatus from attending Jazz Fest, uh, I returned and my mom met me there. Um, and my mom has been every year but one since. And my Yeah. Then I've been uh, also every year but one. And it's become a family tradition that I'm lucky that my fiancé is now a part of. And we have an amazing network of friends and extended family in New Orleans. And um, it's kind of become like an adopted second home for us and for me and you and mm -hmm. our love for music and stuff. So maybe tell some people out there what Jazz Fest means to you, why you love it so much and we can maybe talk about some of your favorite moments or memories. Jazz Fest is my most favorite thing to do. It's music heaven. <laughs> uh, when I walk in at 11 in the morning to the fairgrounds, I'm, I'm so excited because there's such a plethora of um, music there every taste every everything it's so hard to decide you know who to hear but i count the days every year for jazz fest and i've been to lots of concerts and i've been to festivals but i've never found anything like jazz fest the daytime and also the nighttime yeah well the fairgrounds by day is is a different breed of festival and uh you know you get so many stages large and small and you get all the different food vendors from all over new orleans and i think the people is a big plus a big draw of jazz fest at the fairgrounds particularly the people that you meet the people that you interact with you know it's it's really unlike anything else you'll find anywhere else and i think culturally it's important because there's so much darkness out there there's so much negativity there's so much strife and political divide and anger and hatred and all that and nobody brings that to jazz fest 
you know, you got all people of color, you got locals, right. you got internationals, you got wealthy, you got you know, decidedly not wealthy, but they all kind of figure their way into the jazz fest gumbo. Um, I don't know. Do you do? You, you said jazz fest is your favorite thing to do. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I do a lot of wonderful things. You sure do. Now, this is the 50th anniversary, and they booked the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. And by the way, anyone out there is listening, my mom needs a ticket for the Rolling Stones. By the time West Coast, we got up here, the line of people to get the tickets on line was like 2,000. So, yeah, there was no shot we were getting you a ticket. But hopefully one of our benevolent listeners out there will uh, come through with a ticket for my mom for the Stones on May 2nd at Jazz Fest. How do you feel about the whole changing up the rules of jazz fest for one band turning off all the other stages capping the attendance hiking the ticket 2.25 you know times is two 225 percent higher than a normal jazz fest i think it's unfair i don't like it um i think jazz fest should be affordable to most people and it has been and there are wonderful wonderful musicians at Jazz Fest that I've seen. Not that Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones aren't wonderful, but I don't think they should command that much more than, I mean, look who we've seen at Jazz Fest. You know, Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, Bruce Springsteen. Why jack it up that much? And, um, Brian, you've told me there's some of the other rules and regulations that when they're performing that no one else can perform? Correct. Well, that seems unfair. Everybody is not going to be a Rolling Stones fan, but they want to be a jazz fest that day. Why can't they go to the gospel tent or hear other music? That's my my feeling. That's fair, you know. I'm not, I love the Stones. I love that Carl Denson's in the Stones. And I'd love to see them perform again. Uh, and I'd love to see them perform at Jazz Fest, but not at that price and not, just the circumstances don't seem ideal. I may change my mind or a ticket may fall into my lap, but I don't anticipate it and I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. But we are going to get to see Carl where, uh, in his real, where he's really at home, which is with the Tiny Universe in New Orleans and they're doing an Aretha Franklin tribute. Uh. I know you were really excited about that. I you am. actually saw Carl do the Stones tribute a couple yes. of years ago. So it's in the same room. But it's going to be an all Aretha set. I think it'll be some great special guest vocalists coming by. Um, what are some other Jazz Fest uh, shows, not necessarily at the fairgrounds, but in the clubs or in general that you really uh, remember fondly? Or Well, um, one of my fondest, and I think it might have been our first jazz fest together or maybe our second stevie wonder was performing and you and i were dancing in the rain and it's the skies opened up it started pouring and we didn't stop for a minute we kept dancing and enjoying the music that is one of my favorite moments of jazz fest was that particular time i just loved it and um being exposed to artists that I didn't know about, um, I really love Irma Thomas. Yeah, and great name. Yes. <laughs> yes. She's a legend, living legend, for sure. She is. She's I think she's going to sing with the Stones. Oh, my. We've yeah. got to get me a ticket. We're going to get you there. <laughs> yeah, we made the appeal. 
I'm gonna let everyone know in the social media world, and we'll be we'll drum up a, a single ticket for you. I mean, I'm they're sure. sold. Yeah. Well, they sold out whatever they put on sale for today. Oh. Apparently, the cap is fifty thousand tickets, which is substantially like they never cap jazz fest. They can fit yeah. a lot more in there, but they want people to be somewhat comfortable. I'm not gonna speak for them. I don't know, but all at one stage, they can't have more than fifty thousand in one play in one stage, at the Acura stage. I mean, it's kind of controversial. There's a lot of you're not on the social media. It's probably better that way, but you, so you don't see a lot of the bullshit that goes on there. But there's been a, a ton of discussion about this from a local perspective, particularly because it's on what was formerly Locals Thursday. Yes, right. And uh, and a lot of people take off work and they do like these group buy-ins where picnics and, and all kinds of fundraisers and, and paid time off and everything mm-hmm. because it's understood that Second Thursday is Locals Day. And they just sort of took that, switched it to the other week, hiked the price of the second Thursday, and a lot of people are up in arms about it, let alone the fact that the Stones play and no one else plays and all that. But I'm also grateful for the fact that we have Jazz Fest and they have to hire these huge artists to keep it afloat. And to their credit, for the 50th anniversary, the New Orleans artists, this year in particular, as strong as I can remember. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's so, great. That's the sort of you know, silver lining to the whole yeah. Stones debacle. Yeah. Anyway. A lot of people come for that. Yeah. For the local. Yeah, a lot of people do. Or um, the nighttime stuff as well. I mean, yeah. you go out to one or two night shows every year. We've taken yeah. you to Rising Appalachia before. Oh, yes. That you know, was great. And taking you to Trombone Shorty before, to Dumpster Funk before. So, you know, right. you can make the rounds at night a little bit less so, but you still manage to get some night shows in. I do, and I enjoy them, but I, I want to be up and ready for the day. Right, because, for the fairgrounds. And we're doing it differently this year. We're doing part of the first weekend, and then we're doing part of the second weekend, Right. you and I. Up until now, we've done just the second weekend, and I never miss local Thursdays because right. of what you just said. Well, you won't miss this one either. I know, I know, but I wonder but if... But not everyone's able to make those type of yeah. changes and arrangements. That's a yes. good point. Yeah. Yes. Will all those locals be able no. to do that with those rules and regulations? No. And the price. Mostly the price. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. They 70-some dollars a ticket as it is is a stretch for a lot yes. of people, so... Yeah. It's understandable. And I don't want to be a uh, negative Nancy. We love Jazz Fest. We go every year. Mm-hmm. We spend our hard-earned money down there. We yep. shop local, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, go out to the restaurants, tip well. Everything you're supposed mm-hmm. to do when you're out of town or in there hosting you right. And mm-hmm. So I don't want to come off negative, but I just yeah. wanted to have someone out of my peer group talk about Jazz Fest in general and specifically the Rolling Stones uh, quote-unquote controversy, which is not really a controversy. It's just a choice the festival made. People got to deal with it. Obviously, enough people are cool with it because they're selling out the tickets. Yeah, I wonder if the tenor of, of the day will change because People are going to be this. stoked. People are going to be... I have, It's going to be a Did wild... Did you say stoned or stoked? stoked? Both. I think they're going to be stoned and stoked. Yeah. But... Um, uh, it'll work out okay. Yeah, it's going to be fun. You're going to be there. Hopefully, we'll link you up with some people so you have some crew to walk around with. I don't anticipate we'll be able to get two more tickets, let alone can I afford $185 a ticket. So, And, uh, you know, Jazz Fest gives out very few media passes, very few comps. Like, Mm -hmm. you got to be, even though I've been at it a long time, I don't make the cut. So it's okay. Accept that. And I always pay. And 
-hmm. you sometimes buy me a ticket for a present mm -hmm. so we'll be at the track don't worry well um this has been a good good powwow mom let's uh wrap it up for now and hopefully this will be the first of a you can come on every couple of months whenever we're in the same place or whatever and talk about stuff i know i want to talk about cbd and cannabis medicine with mm -hmm. you and I want to talk about other stuff down the road too yeah okay. so thank you for coming on my pleasure right on well we're going to wrap it up from oakland uh this is the up for life podcast with irma feld gets and your host b gets and we will see you next time came out west visited us and the conversation took place in Berkeley a couple weeks back so many thanks and a deep bow to my mother for coming on the podcast and for sharing so freely and we look forward to future uh, appearances from my mom on the Up For Life podcast and we've reached the end of episode 13 so again a huge thank you and large up to Shira from Turquoise for her also very interesting and informative interview. Make sure you check out Turquoise, always perpetually on tour and releasing incredible music um, seemingly without pause. And you can check out that show from February 2nd, 2019 on archive.org. Now we're going to wrap it up with the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. And uh, I had a few different options I was going to go with this week, but at the end of the day, I want to stay with a strong uh, feminine energy to round out the uh, Shira and my mom contributions to the podcast. So... I'm going to play a song from a singer named Rue, and it's a collaboration with Goop Steppa, who's one of our favorite producers from uh, Western Canada and British Columbia, a fellow named Goop Steppa. Alex is his name, and he's one of our faves. Um, we're listening to a, a different Canadian producer right now named Oak, and this was going to be the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week, but then I just really uh, went back to the idea of having something with a strong uh, feminine lead and energy. So we're going to play the uh, Rue and Goop Steppa collaboration from a couple years back called The Riddle. And it's a very beautiful, serene, delicate, sexy, and introspective song. And that will bring episode 13 to a close on the Up for Life podcast. 
I'm your host, B. Getz, and we will see you next time.